Eavesdrop on Experts, a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights. It's where expert types obsess, confess and profess. I'm Chris Hatzis. Let's eavesdrop on experts changing the world. One lecture, one experiment, one interview at a time. What you're hearing is a song called True Spirit by New Dimensions, a carer songwriting project put together by the University of Melbourne, the Dandenong Rangers Music Council, and with carers and members from Caledonia Dementia Care Melbourne. It is an excellent example of how music therapy can be used as a powerful tool to alleviate the distressing behavioural and emotional symptoms of dementia. I'm Felicity Baker, Head of Music Therapy and Director of the International Research Partnerships for the Creative Arts and Music Therapy Research Unit. Professor Baker studies how music, especially singing and songwriting, can be used to treat people with a range of conditions, from young people with traumatic brain injuries to adults with substance abuse issues, and especially people with dementia. Felicity says music therapy can be a way for people living with dementia and their carers to deal with their psychosocial, emotional, cognitive and communication needs. Dr Andy Horvath sat down with Felicity Baker to talk about her work, her involvement in various projects on neurorehabilitation and dementia and music's unique power to increase mood, provide mental stimulation and reduce behavioural disturbances when drugs fail to provide a cure. Tell us about your research. You're involved in a huge global study. Yeah, I've got a few studies that are going on at the moment, but the latest one, which is I find really exciting, is working with uh, family carers of people living with dementia. And we're actually showing the family carers how to use music in really strategic ways to support the care of the person that they're looking after. But we're also interested in preserving the relationship between the carer and the person that they're caring for, because one of the challenges for carers is that when they're caring for someone uh, and that person starts to forget who they are and st- stops recognising them, that the person with dementia doesn't give anything back. So using music in a way that helps to bring that person to the present. So how does music therapy work? What does it trigger in these people with dementia? Well, one of the beautiful things about music is that it it triggers autobiographical recall. So when we hear a song, it evokes memories of our past. And for people living with dementia who have difficulty remembering uh, that they had a cup of tea five minutes ago, being able to recall pleasurable moments from their past that were triggered by music helps to kind of keep them uh, active and to communicate with their loved ones uh, in a way that they couldn't do otherwise. Is there a period of time in our lives where music is particularly potent in our memory? Yes, definitely. So we know, we, we refer to this as the reminiscence bump. And this is a period in our life, sort of between 18 years of age and up to 30 around 30 years of age, at a time when we are falling in love for the first time and uh, all these special memories. And also music is very important to young people. It's part of you know how they develop their identity. And so this music seems to be the music that is most potent for people living with dementia. 
if we followed you or your staff around, how would we see music therapy being implemented? For a music therapist to come in to a person's home, what would happen is the music therapist would demonstrate to the carer how to use music strategically. So just to give you some examples, let's just imagine that the person living with dementia is about to have a shower. They get undressed. It's freezing cold Melbourne right now. And they're sitting on a shower chair waiting to be wheeled in. They don't understand why they're naked. And they're sitting there waiting for the carer to to wheel them in. They get confused. They get agitated. They're at a risk of then falling out of the chair onto the floor. And it's distressing for them. So if it's distressing for them and their carer sees that they're distressed, then they're going to be distressed as well. So the carer will then will show the carer how to use music in a way that calms that person, what kind of music they should select, and then to sing. And we we don't only show them how to uh, which song to sing, but also how to change the way they sing to encourage that person with dementia to become calmer. So they're changing the way they sing. We call this process attunement. They attune or they tune in to the state of the person they're caring for and then get them to become more calm over time. So what are the outcomes of that particular type of therapy? What we want to see in the person living with dementia is that they become more calm and that they uh, become less uh, depressed and less anxious. So we're looking, we call these uh, psychological and behavioural symptoms of dementia. We're trying to look at a reduction in in those symptoms. But we're also wanting to look at the carer as well. This is important that we're looking at carer burden, carer stress, carer's level of depression and quality of life, because we know if we look after the carer, they'll do a better job of looking after the person they're caring for and then there's less chance that that person they're caring for will need to go into residential care. So the music is like a bridge between them. Uh, It's a way that they can connect and um, experience some of the the relationship that uh, the person used to have with their carer before the dementia sort of took hold. What have other researchers said that's going on in the brain? What's happening when we apply music that evokes emotions and mood? Yeah, that's a good question. So music has this unique ability to connect with emotion and with memory. And so they're, they're very intricately linked. So when you hear a piece of music and then the memories become evoked as a result of that, Uh, then the neural network is activated and it also then leads to the activation of more positive moods. So there's this kind of, well, um, we call it the mesolimbic system. It's the pleasure centre of the brain. Music is able to activate that pathway. Now, dementia is a degenerative disease. There's no recovery, but we're seeing some good results from your research. So tell us about that. Yes, so I was involved in doing a project about a, a year or two ago with um, people living with dementia who were attending a, a day centre, uh, so they're still living at home. And one of the things we know um, about the symptoms of dementia is that they have difficulty with ongoing memory. So they forget you know, who you are five minutes after you introduce yourself. Mind you, I also forget people's names. <laughs> Not very good at that. But, uh, you know, they forget where they leave their keys and that becomes more and more common as the disease progresses. But what we've found when, when we've been working with them is that, of course, music access is long-term memory. But we've been working with them creating songs, new songs, new material, new music. And week by week I come back and they remember the lyrics of the songs that they have written. So this is new learning. And this is because we know that music has this ability to stimulate recall. And so when we pair 
this new lyrics with music and they learn it, then they're more likely to recall it. Okay, now let's hear from some of the choristers and volunteers at the Musical Memories Choir from the Continuing Care Clinical Service Unit at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne. First up, Judy Kearney and her husband John. absolutely lovely thing that we can do is sing and I've always loved it. That really gives me a lot of hope uh, for what I've got the dementia, a semantic dementia which takes a lot of words and I'm in that stage and that's it's really very um, makes you sad but you can always go back to the get out this is Sue Mountain, daughter and carer of her mother, Betty Hamilton. It's a really joyous, happy thing to do because music makes us feel really good. I'm sure my mum feels that way too. It's a natural thing to do. And, it, it's, and, and the other thing is too, it's, I, I love to see my mum really enjoy herself too and I mean also I'm enjoying myself as well and I think that's really good for both of us and also the group um, I would never have believed to come and do this that you would find other things that benefited you I mean the music is good we love doing it and that's that's what you expect but then we've met so many lovely people people that uh, the carers that all understand how you feel and without saying a word they can be supportive and we all belong Once again, Judy and John Kearney. Well, I know that I'm loved here and it uh, doesn't matter if I make a mistake or people, I've got people like my own self is here and uh, I love to see how they are as well as what I'm doing. How did your interest in music begin? My interest in music goes back to when I was, I think, in prep or grade one. And my parents uh, thought that music would be good for me because I was, let's just say, probably a little bit hyperactive. (laughs) Probably these days they would label me as uh, ADHD or something like that. Um, But I was just a very busy child. That's what I was described as. And so my parents thought that playing music might might be useful for me in terms of settling me down, which it did. But um, somewhere along the way, I took a a stronger interest in it. And by the time I was about 14 or 15 years of age, had started to get quite good at it. Um, Then I started thinking, what might I do with my music? And so at that point is when I was introduced to this concept of music therapy. And I've never looked back since then. And, you know, that was, I think I 
had committed to it when I was about 15 or 16. And, you know, if I had my life over, I would choose it all again. You're involved in really large international projects. You must have ordinary project management skills because you've got many countries involved. Give us a little insight into the big global studies you're doing. The study that was in that's involving carers of people living with dementia is a global study. So it involves uh, research teams in the UK, in Norway, in Poland and in Germany. And we are trying to recruit 500 dyads, so that's 1,000 participants, so 500 carers and 500 people living with dementia at home with that carer. And we are trying to look at how this music training program uh, improves care well-being. And it is really challenging to work on a global scale. We've got different rules in terms of ethics cross-country, different ways of practicing music therapy that we have to take into account, even different levels of uh, people living with dementia who are still at home. In some countries, they tend to go into care a lot earlier than they do here in Australia, for example. So the spectrum of people living at home is is quite different uh, across these different countries. You're also involved in neuro-rehab. Firstly, what is that? Well, neurorehabilitation is a, uh, I guess it's a branch of medicine that involves working with people who have acquired brain injury uh, and we would be using different interventions to rehabilitate different areas of functioning, physical functioning, communication, uh, cognition and emotion sometimes. Uh, And so in respect um, to the work I've been doing, for me it's about developing music-specific tasks and activities for these people to do that helps them to, I guess, recover lost skills. So if I use, if I, if maybe I could tell you an example of somebody. I'd love to hear it. So I worked with a lady who was from the Philippines and, um, and she was here visiting her sister um, because she was recuperating from the loss of her daughter who had died from cancer while she was in the Philippines. And so she came to Australia, to Melbourne, actually, for a bit of a break, really. And just on her way home from the, um, from the airport, she was involved in a, in a motor vehicle accident and was in a coma for some months. And then when she came out of the coma, they found that she could not speak. So she had a combination of aphasia, which is a well-known impairment in terms of language production. But she also had a motor disorder called dyspraxia, which is about coordinating the speech muscles and other muscles, but the speech muscles to to um, articulate speech. So she was involved in speech therapy for some time um, when and didn't seem to make any progress. And then one day someone heard her singing along to a Beatles song and so off she came to me <laughs> in music therapy. And I worked with her for a, for a couple of weeks just singing, just getting her used to using her voice again. And then over time we developed a, a very music-based program to teach her how to speak again. So we would do things like... Um, I would sing a phrase like, um, where are the toilets? And we would sing that as a, as a way of helping her develop functional speech. That's wonderful. Music seems to be so wired into our brain for memory as well as emotion. It is a very powerful medicine. It is. What misconceptions do people have about music therapy when they first encounter it? Many people think, oh, what is this? What is this music therapy? Is it just playing music to people? And actually, it's it's far from that. Uh, and the other thing, the other misconception too, is that people think you have to be musical to uh, get something from music therapy. 
but that's also not the case. There's not that many people in the world who don't like music. I very rarely come across anyone who doesn't like music in of some shape and form. So it's not music is an entertainment. It's not just something that you put on and expect it to have a therapeutic effect. Music therapists think very carefully about what they do with people and it's very targeted the way they use music and music activities to affect a change in either mood or behaviour or um, in speech, as I just mentioned in the case study. There's such a wide variety of music. Tell me about people's choices in music. So we all have uh, a repertoire of music that we enjoy. And one of the fascinating things about music, if we want to use music in a very strategic way to make ourselves feel better, for example, getting in the car after work and you want to turn on some music, what you choose will often depend on what your mood is at that time. So um, as just to use myself as an example, if I've had a pretty heavy day uh, and I'm feeling a bit exhausted as opposed to stressed, just tired, I might choose a piece of music that will give me a lift I Will Survive is one of my songs that I like to to play. The Gloria Gaynor version. That's the one. But if I'm feeling stressed uh, as opposed to tired, I might choose something different that will calm me down um, and help me relax and unwind a bit. So I guess the important thing about that is that the same piece of music can have a different effect on a different day depending on you know what you've been doing that day and how you're feeling at that specific moment. So when we're working with people with dementia, this is a really important thing to teach our carers that it's not just because you used a piece of music yesterday doesn't mean that that same piece of music is going to work today because it's so dependent on other things. Felicity, next time we're reaching for the music knob, deciding on what to think about, What would you like us to think about? In terms of choosing your music, perhaps a little bit of a reflection on on your own um, mood or emotion at that particular moment. So if you are feeling quite stressed, you might think, okay, what music will make me feel calm? Or if you feel low in mood, what music might lift me up? Uh, If you're um, with other people, you might feel like playing music that connects you with other people. So there are different things you can think about when you're uh, reaching out for your selection. Now, you're launching an appeal. I would like to see all carers of people living with dementia being able to access uh, these strategies that help them to manage the person they're caring for. But of course, There's not enough music therapists compared to how many people are living with dementia in the world now and is on the increase. Uh, So I wanted to develop something that would enable us to scale it up to make it more accessible and provide access for people. So what we really want to do is translate this intervention that is currently a face-to-face intervention with a music therapist training a carer into other modes of delivery. So we would like to develop uh, a smartphone app or a tablet app. Uh, We would also like to develop train-the-trainer models so we could train, for example, a community worker in a rural and remote area where there is no music therapy to then train carers uh, and even develop some massive online courses where people can enrol in a course and learn the strategies. So the annual appeal is basically calling for uh, for people to donate to this program so that we can develop these um, translated delivery modes. Dementia is a huge problem in society. I think most people are touched by it in some way. They certainly will be touched by it if they haven't already. 
I wish you all the very best with this appeal. This is a very important project for the well-being of not just carers, um, and I know I've been one, and of course, those who are suffering dementia. So, Professor Felicity Baker, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to Professor Felicity Baker, Head of Music Therapy and Director of the International Research Partnerships for the Creative Arts and Music Therapy Research Unit, Faculty of Fine Arts and Music, University of Melbourne. And thanks to our reporter, Dr Andy Horvath. For more information about the Music Heals Hearts and Minds appeal that Felicity mentioned, go to our show notes. Eavesdrop on Experts, Stories of Inspiration and Insights was made possible by the University of Melbourne. This episode was recorded on August 29, 2019. You'll find a full transcript on the Pursuit website. Audio engineering by me, Chris Hatzis. Co-production, Sylvie Van Wall and Dr Andy Horvath. Eavesdrop on Experts is licensed under Creative Commons Copyright 2019, the University of Melbourne. If you enjoyed this episode, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out the rest of the Eavesdrop episodes in our archive. I'm Chris Hatzis, producer and editor. Join us again next time for another Eavesdrop on Experts.